What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. There were a lot of great ska-punk bands in the UK in the early to mid-2000s and many were on the Household Records label. Within these groups, none were more insane than Lightyear. Maybe not musically so much. They were a good, catchy ska-punk band. But their shows were total chaos. And once off stage, the chaos continued with pranks, stunts, and never-ending shenanigans. Today, we talk to the band's lead singer and ringleader, Chaz Palmer-Williams and he tells us many stories about the band's good old days. Also, Lightyear will be performing their two full-length albums front to back on February 24th and February 25th, 2023 at the New Cross Inn in London. One album per evening. Of all the bands that I toured with over in the UK, Lightyear, by far the craziest one. Oh, yeah. By a lot. (laughs) Like... You never really felt safe around Lightyear. And they and like musically, they were pretty normal. Like they were just like a, a good ska punk band. But just like their persona, not even live, off stage too. Just like unhinged. I love that every anytime we've interviewed uh, a band from that scene or a band from the US that had played in England during that time, you would just be like, okay give me your best let your story. And they'd be like, Oh, I got one right now. And it's insane. And it's a different story than everyone else has said so far. Yeah. That's the best part. Everyone has like a perfect one, like right off the top of their head. Like you can just say, Hey, tell me your light, your story. And they're like, Oh, let's go. (laughs) It's never, it's never like, Oh, let me think about it. It's like, yep, here you go. (laughs) And now finally we have Chaz giving us straight from the horse's mouth. I want to read a message I got. It says, hi, dudes. Let's do an interview. We can talk about light year and penises and world peace. <laughs> do you know who sent that message? Was it me? 
It was you. Oh, I think I had a few beers. I think, uh, <laughs> uh, but we can, you know, like in, in, in yeah. any order. That's our outline. <laughs> That's all we have. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think it was, I, I heard the big D one and I was like, yeah, man, like I want to, I want to fucking get on this. And I want to, you know, talk to Adam and it's been a while. And uh, yeah, it was just, I was excited about it and, and always excited about penises. So yeah, <laughs> every single time we've brought up the UK ska punk scene from the 2000s. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lightyear gets brought up like enthusiastically. So <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. I think, I think, um, there were crazy times over here and, and, um, you know, we, we, you know, we fucking toured a lot, man, you know, like we, we did, yeah. um, thousands of shows, um, like a lot of bands did as well. But, um, we were, I was just thinking about it before, you know, we, we, we started and I was thinking, God, every, every band that we were listening to, like, you know, like Link 80, Slow Gherkin, Mustard Plug, Real Big Fish. We we were like getting calls going, do you want to go on tour with them? And, and you know, it was just, it was just insane. Cause it was like, you know, we, we were, these were like our, you know, what literally diving out of our musical collection straight on tour. So um, it was bringing back some good memories. I read that at one point you guys were touring like 300 times, 300 dates a year. Is that true? Yeah, nearly. I think it was like, two two eight six or something like that we did a, a few years like that um but um the strange thing was like loads of like i mean i'm sure cap down did something like that as well and um you know if you think about how many bands on on like house on in records and 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 sort of scar and scar punk bands all those guys you, you know they were all doing maybe not quite as much as that but if you're thinking like how many shows that was in a year and and people were going to a lot of the shows um it was a pretty pretty strong scene really what was life like for you at that at that point like <laughs> what was your living situation like uh well i i mean i kind of like um you know i, sp- I spoke to my girlfriend about it recently and, and she was like where do you live i was like well just on couches you know and and like uh you know i was like my mum's couch most of the time and uh other people's couch and she was like well were you like homeless then i was like we're not homeless you know what i mean because you know people who are homeless are fucking having a much harder time than what i was but um i wasn't like i didn't have a house you know what i mean and, and um i didn't really have a room for a lot of the time so uh i was just you know it was like 300 days it's like where you know what's the point of getting rent you know renting out a place um so we just lived in the van really and just kept going uh and and yeah touring which i'm sure a lot of bands did but was there a point where you had an apartment and you had all these dates lined up and you're like, you know what? I think it's time to move out of the apartment. And, uh, no, we, no, I just, I just didn't live anywhere until I was, until like you split up. <laughs> and then, then I was like, <laughs> oh shit. You know, cause, cause we did this particularly, uh, difficult tour in Europe and yeah, you know, I, I think my mental health at the time was like quite bad. And, um, I, I didn't know it, you know, cause no one talked about mental health back then. And, um, I was just like, so you know when something clicks and you're like i can't do this anymore you know i was like i can't do 300 shows or whatever and so i kind of left and um and then suddenly i was like shit what do i do you know where do i go where do i live i haven't got a home and and it all it was all crazy you know because you're you know what it was like back then it was like you were you were married to your band you know what i mean it was like that was your whole world really um so yeah, it was crazy. It kind of just this vacuum. So that's when I eventually got a house down in Brighton. So yeah, well, a room. 
Yeah. When you were touring 300 days a year, uh, how much of that was outside of the UK? Uh, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> when I when I think about bands like um, ME330 and Let's Go Bowling, who did the same thing for a number of years, it's like they were in the US and the US is like you can do a two to three month consecutive tour and not hit any of the same places at all. But the UK is a lot smaller. Yeah, I just, um, I don't know. It, it just seemed to be that that scene. People would come and more people would come each time. So it was, you know, and then we would play Reading and Leeds. So so we were definitely building a following, which was strange. But again, you kind of get like, you know, you need that new thing, don't you? You need the new scene. You need a new city and going around Europe. We, we toured Europe a, a load of times and um, that was always super exciting because, you know, you play in front of like different, you know, go, like back then, I remember playing Vienna and and um, what's that? What's that big squat place in Vienna called? Um, you know the big one. You, you must know it. I don't. I think. I, yeah, I remember playing there. I don't know the name of it though. Yeah, yeah. It's like so. It's basically a really, really well run squat that's like fucking massive. It's really good. And we were playing there, and um, it was when the internet is kind of just started, and someone shouted for a song, and it blew my mind. You know what I mean? I was like, how? how do you know our music? Like we haven't got anything distributed over here. And they were like the internet. And, that, <laughs> and I was like, the internet. Wow. You know, and that just stoked me out, you know, and when you see people sort of like singing your words in, in different countries, it's just that, that buzz. So, you know, you, I think bands survive on excitement and opportunities and phone calls coming in as opposed to like food, if you know what I mean? It's like, you can kind of like scrounge things out of bins and stuff like that. But if you get that phone call going, oh, by the way, you know, you've, you've got the support on this like tour around Germany or something. That's when, you know, you keep going. So, yeah, we, we, we did a load outside, but we never got to America, man. And and that that really kind of, um, yeah, that, that just never happened. And uh, that, yeah, I, that that's something I always wanted to do and we didn't do. There's still time. There's still time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, organizing our, our lot is very, very difficult because they've uh, all got kids and jobs and, you know, and then Neil's just Neil. He's like, you know, <laughs> crazy, crazy dude off like working on super yachts and then like diving and all sorts of stuff. Um, so trying to lock him down. But, but you know, yeah, I would I would love to. I would love to. So maybe. Yeah. Are, are Neil's feet doing better? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, he nearly died on that, on that last tour. So yeah, that was pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell people the, the foot that, that the story we're talking about here? Yeah. Sorry. So, so, um, Neil is our, is our trumpet player and guitar player and, and kind of like, um, you know, just a, just a real amazing guy. Like he's just, he just looks like this small bald dude and you wouldn't really think he's got like, you know, this angelic voice and he's like an amazing music musician and songwriter. Um, and he left um, when Light You split up. Well, when we kind of split up the first time, he moved to Thailand and then he started teaching um, diving. So um, and he's like an amazing diving instructor over there. And, um, you know, he's very modest, but he saved like three people's lives under underwater and stuff like that. It's, it's insane. But um, but he didn't wear shoes for 10 years. You know, he, he he's kind of almost like a Buddhist. You know, he doesn't own anything yeah. like like nothing at all. And didn't wear shoes and, and um, came on the last tour in the UK, still not wearing any shoes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I was like, mate, you've, you know, you're not in Thailand. He's like, fuck it, whatever. You know, it's fine. It's fine. And um, then we were, we were kind of in Glasgow and it was after the show. He, his family are from Glasgow 
And uh, I just saw him walking off up the up the street, like on a night out in Glasgow after the gig, and his feet just looked massive, you know, like some sort of like red Shrek, you know. And and I was like, dude, they don't look right. He's like, oh fuck it, it's fine, it's fine. My, my you know, my cousin's got like a bag of drugs. It'll be all right. Everything will be all right. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure that's how it works, mate. And then and then like um like maybe like two days later, I looked at him and I was like, dude. Like that, and he's they were just going red and like all up his legs, you know. And I was like, and he's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. And then we went to Birmingham, and uh, he started to get really shaky and stuff. And and uh, so I ended up going to accident emergency at Birmingham Hospital. And at that point, he was like shaking and in a ball, like put his head down, and he was like, you know, kind of quivering. And 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 I was like, fucking, it was like twenty minutes to stage time. And uh, um, so yeah, he got sepsis basically, and um. It traveled from his toes up to his groin. I think it was like 86% wow. infection like rate sort of thing. And uh, then he was on a drip for two two weeks and had to like drop out of the tour. Um, but, you know, now he doesn't even talk about it. It's just it's just how he is, you know. He's just this uh, <laughs> crazy dude who just doesn't really give a shit about anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that the sort of thing where you that transmits from like, you know, walking on dirt or something and there's just like something that infects you yeah yeah so it's like blood poisoning really so so um yeah he just got an infection from like a cut or something but i mean i i I got into detail with him about what happened and he said well he was in bangkok airport and he had a pair of shoes but um they broke so he just chucked them in a bin (laughs) and and, (laughs) and, get rid of them yeah he just got rid of them i was like well did you not think to get any more he's like well it'd be a waste of money wouldn't it Right. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then he just traveled from Bangkok, um, to, to Derby, uh, barefoot and then carried on with the tour. So yeah, along the way he, he must've picked up an infection and, and, um, cause he didn't really get on antibiotics early on. Um, he, he, he got sepsis and, uh, yeah, nearly died, man. So, so it was, uh, he wouldn't, you know, I don't know he's very, he, he downplays everything, you know? And, uh, but yeah, he very much, uh, nearly, got in a lot of trouble but you know it's neil and he's uh he's good now so it's all good the interesting thing about that to me is that i mean lightyear famously got naked a lot but i remember you guys always wearing shoes still (laughs) 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 like you guys would be butt naked but still with shoes on i guess i mean living in thailand changes that i know maybe he's gone the other way around yeah he's he's just thought that's stupid i wear clothes but not shoes but (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think with that was we always like knew where it, we had a little, um, you know, uh, plan. We always had a plan, so we would know where our clothes are, and uh, I guess the shoes were for like running away if the police came or something. So you know, you can't always uh, run, but you know, yeah, we we. I mean, I remember like running through Derby City Centre naked with Neil, and we ran through a Chinese restaurant, and the you know the guy came out with a meat cleaver, and it was like a film, you know, and. Um, and uh, but we all had our, our backpacks on and stuff. Saying that, actually, now I think about it, Neil didn't. Neil only had shoes on, and um, then he got arrested, and then we had to pick him up the next day. And he 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 went on tour in one of those boiler suits. You know, there's like what they what they give you in jail if you don't have any clothes. It's just a big like a you know like a forensic crime scene. Yeah, one of those things. So we just wore that and we picked him up from, from jail or whatever. And, um, from the police uh, station and we were like, right, do you want to, you know, go and get your tour stuff? And he was just like, well, have you got my trumpet? And we were like, yeah. And he's like, cool. Well, I'll just go in this then. 
And um, <laughs> we were like, what do you mean? He's just like, well, this is fine, you know, like I'll just go in there. So so we just went uh, on, on tour in his forensic suit and and a pair of Speedos I think he had in the van. So, uh, yeah, he's he's quite unique. But, yeah, there was a lot of nakedness and, and um, yeah, we, we celebrated our bits. So, so <laughs> the plan with the clothing was just they go in the backpack, backpack goes on the back and then and then just head out naked. Yeah, because I think the police kind of like, you know, over here were just like we would say it's a stag do as well. You know, we'd just be like, oh, it's a stag do, and if we got caught, and um, a lot of the time they would just go, okay, just put your clothes back on, you know, and um, <laughs> and, and uh, but you know, the, the, this time they didn't with Neil. They they actually gave him a caution, and um, you know, I think he actually got arrested. But um, but that whole naked thing was like, I think it was weird because it was just sort of like. It, it wasn't like a, you know, a jock thing, you know, mm-hmm. like it wasn't like, you know, over here, a lot of like rugby lads are like, well, let's get naked and drink our piss and stuff. And I think with Lightyear, it was, it was just, um, for me, it was like, like I was bullied quite a lot as a kid about the way I looked and stuff. And f- for me to like, just get out of that on stage with Lightyear, that was what that was about, really. It was about me just going, I don't fucking care. You know, I'm not ashamed of myself and my body and, and uh you know i just don't care do you know what i mean it was just really liberating and um i think thankfully most people didn't take that the wrong way but um i think i think nowadays it it wouldn't go down as well i think you know sure yeah was that the the story with neil was that the only time you had a actual run-in with cops oh no no there was (laughs) there was loads of times yeah yeah um yeah, man, loads of times, but they were, they were, you know, they were always okay. And I think, I think, you know, if they just realize you're not violent and you're not wasted and you're coherent and you can talk yourself out of a situation, um, I think that, uh, um, you know, like that, that, that they're pretty decent. Um, I remember not too long ago, actually, um, do you know Giles, um, uh, from, uh, loads of bands over here, but, um, it was uh, oh, who's who's the singer? Amazing singer, uh, girl singer from. Um, oh fuck, I can't remember now. My memory's shot. But anyway, two two <laughs> these guys from from the states and they were touring and we basically put a um, a, a firework up my friend's bum um, and then sent him <laughs> off down the street with the uh, on a skateboard with you know this firework coming out of his ass. Um, <laughs> Laura, what's her name? Laura Stevenson. Yeah, Laura Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her and I think her, her maybe partner that was on guitar at the time. And um, yeah, and he went down the street with his firework up his ass and, and they were going like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, and then he came back and there was a knock on the door and um, they opened the door and they're like, oh my God, it's the police. It's the police, you know, and we answered the door and they were like, we've had reports of something going on here. And we were like, oh, sorry, we were just going down the street like naked with a firework up our, up our ass. And they were like... <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. We thought someone was stealing a car, and we were like, "No, no, we were just, we were just doing that." And they were like, "Okay, have a nice night," you know. And uh, Laura Stevenson was like, "What just happened?" Like, <laughs> you know, oh my god, they're so cool. I'm not saying all the police in England are cool because they're not, but um, again, I think it's they look at it and they think, "Do we really want to do the paperwork?" You know? <laughs> yeah, you really want to have to write out like, "Oh, we arrested this person." Cause they had a firework up their ass and they were going down the street on a sidewalk naked. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they may have to touch us as well. So you got to make your crime embarrassing to write about. 
if you're going to do a crime. Yes. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you, you live in Brighton now. No. So, so, um, I lived in Brighton for 10 years Okay, and then moved back to Derby. Um, and then kind of was like, actually, this isn't how it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved to Falmouth in Cornwall. So that's where I live now. Okay. What was the venue in Derby? The Victoria Inn. The Vic- Why was the the ceiling over that stage so low? <laughs> well, it was asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> was it? No, yeah. Nobody wanted to touch it or like fix it. So I think it was just like, you know, let's just leave it how it is. But <clears throat> that place was like my church, you know, as mm-hmm. a kid, like I was quite lost and, and, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then, and then started going there and playing in light year. And yeah, it was just the most punk rock venue and that, you know, Andy, the owner, he was in an old punk band called concrete socks. Okay. And, um, he was just like, do what you fucking want to do, you know, get naked, jump off the, you know, barriers, like just do whatever you want to do. It's, it's punk rock and you know, it's here to, it's your venue as much as my venue, you know? Yeah. And, um, and dude, man, I was, I was just thinking all the bands that I saw there and got to play with and stuff. It, it was just insane. You know, like just so many different bands like Promise Ring, um, you know, Slow Gherkin, you know, we toured with Slow Gherkin and that changed our lives like pretty much. Um, just so many bands, like all the bands that we were listening to, but also like loads of other bands like Oasis played there and, you know, there was like three shows a, a night there and the scene was just so vibrant. Yeah, it was a really, really small room. About how many people did it hold? I think it, well, officially, like all of right. them, probably about 100, but uh, unofficially, I, I think it probably goes like 150. Yeah, but I, I remember uh, AFI, when they were getting really big, they played a show there, which blew my mind. Yeah, like, like I think Sick of It All, uh, Dropkick Murphys, um you know like like I, I put a post up on facebook recently going oh can anyone remember like what bands played there and um the list went on for eight days you know like because people from other scenes not just the punk scene started getting involved and um it was it was just a, such a an, an incredible place really um you know your feet would just have to like stick to the floor and you know it was so grimy man you know i have to have like a tetanus jab to get in but it was it was awesome, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you played there, a bit, oh, yeah. didn't you? I think, yeah, yeah. And, Ch- and Chaz, you're you're pretty tall, right? Yeah, about six foot two, nearly. Yeah, so you had to have put your head through that ceiling, also. Yeah, oh man, like heads went through, feet went up there. I think, I think, you know, there's a sound engineer stuck up there from like 2001, <laughs> probably. You know, <laughs> just lives in there now. Yeah, it just lives in there. Um, yeah, it was it was a dive, but it was our dive, you know, and and you know what I mean? It's like if you had no money and you'd just be like, oh, just, you know, just go in. Don't worry about it. Just go sure. in. And uh, he would just talk you up. And, and um, it was such great memories, man. Like, uh, yeah, it, it uh, shaped, shaped my life, really. Can you remember, like, maybe a, a favorite show that you saw there? Man, I, I, I think there was just so many. Like, like it's hard. To, it's really hard to say. Um, I mean, I, you know, Big D and the Kids Table, like, are our sort of, you know, bros and like, we toured with them a lot. And, and I think some of their, those shows were, because c- we were friends, it was just like, anything goes, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so the shows were wild. Um, God, I mean, Groovy Ghoulies, Suicide Machines, The Queers. Um, I don't know, like, 
it was just every week, you know. So I, I, I don't think I could say a favorite show. I would, I would say like it was probably thirty shows, you know. Yeah. I, it was any time, like you know, it was kind of like, oh, there's a US band coming, let's go, you know. Like I think the first time, like for example, Groovy Ghoulies, I didn't know who they were, you know what I mean? It was like oh, they're on lookout, let's go, we're going, you know what I mean? Those days yeah. when it was like you didn't need to know what they sounded like, you just needed to know the record label. So. It was like yeah. that, and every every show like that was was just incredible. And um, you know, like yeah, when you guys came through Link Eighty, you know, it was it was that was a huge thing because, um, I don't know, you you were kind of like not not like a cult status, but it was that kind of like that, I guess the mixture of the hardcore and the scar, you know, really mm-hmm. everybody was like super into that, and um, uh, you know, that was an exciting show. But yeah, it was it was just yeah so many top shows can't even think of one you said jumping off the barriers uh, now if i remember right there was like a handrail at the back of the room kind of do you remember this yeah there was like yeah there was kind of like a weird wooden like beam that like shouldn't really that didn't do anything right and then um on stage yeah there was, it was really low wasn't it and and um you know people sort of flopped into the crowd and then I mean, I remember the the PA dropping on everybody once, and you know, <laughs> like everyone was like, "Oh my god!" Like fucking hell! Like, and then everyone, you know, when you're young, you're sort of like, "Oh my god, is everyone okay?" Yes, they're great. Yay! That yeah, was keep amazing. going. Yeah, keep yeah. going. Keep going. Like, don't check. You know, don't don't put something in to like make sure it doesn't happen again. Sure. Just shout hooray and carry on. And <laughs> um, yeah, I remember that happening. And you know, there was dogs in there and and all sorts of stuff. And then, if I'm remembering right, the the pub in the front. It had pictures, like frame pictures up on the walls of all the bands, right? Yeah, yeah. So that had like the library of, of um, all the bands that have played there over the years. And, and when it closed, everybody tried to get them and we're not sure where they went. Mm. But um, yeah, there was like so many bands up there and we could go and look at everybody. And, you know, I think like Jawbreaker might have played. And I think, you know, and there's like these little black and white pictures of, of like Arctic Monkeys and, you know, um it was a real like i don't know these places need to be like registered historical landmarks do you know what i mean sure. like cbgb's and and but there's you know there's I, I mean i don't know if cbgb's is but it should be um and they're you know they're all over the world and they've just got these this historical thing from music and and it just seems to get forgotten which is such a shame yeah do you do you have any idea what's in that place now like i, I always get upset when i see like a place that we used to play and then i'll look it up and it's now like condos yeah, so you're gonna laugh at this, okay? So, I I went back, um, and you know, there's there's a venue called the Hairy Dog in Derby now, and that's that's doing good shows and stuff like Bouncing Souls played, and you know, it's it's still doing really well. But nice. you know, it's not the Vic, it's not like that little anything goes sort of venue. And then, so I was like, right, I'm gonna go for a beer, you know, I'm gonna go down a, a trip down memory lane, and I kind of went in, and I was like, oh my god, like everything's gone, you know, like like the pub was just like a normal pub. And then I went in the back and it's a um, wedding reception venue. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I mean, who the fuck wants a wedding there? You know, there was like about five tables pushed together. Um, It still smelled to piss. And, um, you know, I was just thinking, I saw a man do a dump in a a tea urn over there, you know, like... (laughs) like (laughs) this is you know this is a wedding area now so so that that's why i I, uh that's what it is now so saying that if i was to get married 
it might be a cool place to go you know yeah yeah I think that's the right place for you exactly yeah so um but yeah that's what it is now uh but yeah there's always that kind of thing in me where i'm like you know maybe i can move back to derby and start the vic again you know maybe maybe mm. we could take over and and make it great again but you know things don't work that way you'd have to cancel all those wedding reservations though <laughs> i'd just double book i just get the, i get the guy back to dump in the tea urn and then just have the wedding reception going on at the same time you know double <laughs> double the money double the fun yeah i think that'd be good when when you lived in in brighton one of my core memories of lightyear happened in brighton we were staying at, at buzz's house yeah and you all stopped by do you do you remember this I think so. I think so. I, I just want to say sorry <laughs> before uh, before you say it. <laughs> to who? <laughs> what, I, to me? Just, it's just force a habit now. Yeah, when, yeah. Someone says, you know, when I saw Lightyear, I have to say sorry in case we did something. <laughs> so I, I literally, I think I was really sick when this happened. Okay. So I think yeah. I was dead asleep the entire time, but I got filled in by the rest of the band later. Okay. I don't know, because I know there was a time where we kind of teabagged a band and i think it might have been slow gherkin so i think we put our balls yeah it wasn't us no it wasn't you guys okay so i can i can start you off okay yeah go on then yeah y'all you and neil showed up fur coats yeah no other clothing okay (laughs) okay yeah the thing is this could have been any night sure (laughs) (laughs) um but i think i remember because i think we went to a party and um yeah, and then we got hold of some fur jackets, and uh, did we like? I can't remember. I seem to remember dancing or something. Were we dressed up in, in in as ladies by any chance? I think I think so. I think there were some wigs and some makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, do we sit down and have a cup of tea and talk about the weather? <laughs> from what I from what I remember, and and there was definitely multiple times we were at Buzz's house and and y'all were there. There was one time. Uh, Y'all were just hanging out with uh, our singer Ryan in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you were freestyling, and one of one of you just just was like, "Oh, show him your strawberries." <laughs> and, just, oh, and one of you just okay. like pulled your dick out. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Jim, our drummer, could do like he got quite into like puppetry of the penis. I don't know if you ever <laughs> saw that stuff, but um, yeah, yeah. And he could do like strawberries. He could do like a Big Mac. Um, he could do the fly. I don't know if you've ever seen the fly. That's quite a good one. Um, What's the fly? It's kind of where you like twist your balls um, 180, uh, front side 180 or backside, depends. And then your your balls become red, like red fly's eyes. And then your, your, your um, fly nose, let's call it that, um, sticks down the bottom. So it just looks like a fly, really. But it it's probably the most impressive thing. I, I guess it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a hobby, you know? Some people... <laughs> You're not, you're not going to make a living doing puppetry of the penis. You're not going to make a living do that. But, you know, yeah. Some people collect miniature figures and, you know, know everything about Harry Potter. Jim could do a, a puppetry of the penis. So what's the Big Mac? The Big Mac is where it all starts with a twist. <laughs> so he, tw- he twists it <laughs> and then kind of pushes his, his um, uh, uh, shaft uh, into – it's not okay. a shaft, is it? A floppy shaft into into the burger buns and then squeezes the sack around each oh. one and then that becomes the 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 burger so i mean especially with jim i called it a big mac that's quite you know quite um optimistic i would probably say it was like a, a happy meal burger the really the really <laughs> weird thing about this is that like 
Aaron, I remember Flat Planet coming home from tour and there and having you guys yeah. having stories about people doing puppetry of the penis. Yeah, they called it they called it dick tricks. This was all in um this was in one specific town in Mississippi where everyone was obsessed with this. But see, you're calling it puppetry of the penis. They called it dick tricks. Yeah. I think it should just be called impressions because that's all it is yeah. it's dick impressions yeah. and and that's a more peaceful way of saying it doesn't it it's like yeah. it's more respectful and it, it's all about respecting the art form impressions sounds like it's on the lifetime channel though yeah that's like what can you make your penis look like yeah yeah and that that's what it amounts to because you say puppetry and i i picture like strings like you know like like they're having like two penises having a conversation yeah yeah, I can actually picture that right now. It's a weird, a weird picture. Obviously, we <laughs> yeah. know what the, ma- the mouth would be. Yeah, I guess you could you could um, combine it. You could have like the impressions, and then then there's a play. Yeah, yeah, you could do like you know a Big Mac and a fly. Yeah, yeah. get Shakespearean on it. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get really into it. I want to ask. So earlier, you said that um, the the nudity started as sort of a liberating way to deal with having been made fun of and sort of like kind of almost a rebellious sort of way to answer to that saying like i don't care what you say you know about my body so here here it is when was the first time you did this and can can you kind of walk through the thought process and that led to it yeah i it wasn't on stage so so darby in general kind of like had a very low sort of sensitivity to um you know things not you know like being naked and stuff like i, I remember I, I my dad uh he's from california lives in lake tie and um i've been over to the states and i came back and um i went to a party you know like kind of almost like straight off the plane oh there's a party let's go to it that sort of thing how old are you at this point i think i was probably like 17 okay so light year doesn't exist yet right yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's kind of blurry. Um, but, but yeah, um, yeah. We just went to a party, and then someone was like, "Oh, like, dare you know, dare you to run down the street naked?" And and I was like, "Okay," you know. And everyone's like, "Fuck off! You're not going to do that." Like it was the biggest thing in the world, you know. There's no way you're going to do that. And I was like, and I did it, and everyone was like, you know, mine was blown. It's like, oh my god, like you got naked, <laughs> and then. Like, I guess it's because it was, you know, the whole jackass thing. Like, we we didn't yeah. see any of that. We were kind of like, this was before that. And it was that kind of skateboard culture where we were all skaters. And it was like, you know, you do something, then they try and do something in a friendly way, but competitively, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, that's kind of how it was. So, so someone would do that and then somebody would, you know, burn their pubes off. And then somebody would, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> like took a wee on one someone else and it was you know so it all it all just kind of escalated so that obviously the getting naked side of it was was very desensitized to everyone so so some of those shows in derby were like the whole audience was naked sometimes you know what i mean like a lot of people uh you know including girls as well like like um there was some times where everyone was just like fuck it let's just get naked you know and and um yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of, you know, when you're young and you don't care, like, you know, man, like running down a golf course naked at 18, like screaming in, in the, at 2 a.m. in the morning is is, a, is, a, is an amazing thing. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it's fucking cool, dude. And it's like, some people might not think it is, but for us, it was, it was a really cool memory and really funny, you know, just like, you know, just like laughing where you, you're just completely pure, you know, and the older you get, the harder it is to laugh, 
in my opinion and the less we laugh as humans and that complete freedom of laughing and no responsibility and you know no direction but fuck it you know we're still happy that sort of thing and it was it was great did you when you were younger and you were teased or bullied did you have like a specific feature that everyone teased or was it just a general they just saw you as like a a, a kid to pick on so i i um i think i spoke about this on another podcast once but um so i not to go dead deep into it but i i was it's quite strange like i lived on a housing estate which is like not the ghetto but it, it was somewhere you know of low income you know um like sort of state housing sort of thing but then i went to a private school and and at the private school because i had like a scholarship for playing rugby and um so basically everybody there would would um it got quite dark so they were like burning me and electrocuting me and and um a lot of uh emotional abuse so i I would get um beaten up you know every day but then i would also get um picked on so they would say um they would go you know you're a jewish fuck um you've got yellow skin um you know all sorts of stuff like that so so um really really nasty shit and um and then basically what happened was that went on for like three or four years um where i just didn't have a friend really at all and then this kid from singapore was like here's here's a tape you know and i was like okay you know and he was a skateboarder so i was like okay i'm gonna try skateboarding and i put this tape on and on this tape it had um gorilla biscuits nirvana and the beastie boys and then i don't know how it was for you guys but as soon as I heard that distorted guitar, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is me. I've, I'm home. You know, it was like that <laughs> sound was was like, you know, fuck, this is this is how I'm feeling in, in a musical form, like right now, right this second. And then um, and then I gradually I started like running away from the school and, and just um, skateboarding, hiding my clothes. So we go on the cross country run, you know, like for the physical education and I would hide my skateboard gear in a bush and then I wouldn't I wouldn't come back so my teachers would be still timing me you know and um I'd be off skateboarding like uh down in the next city and 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 um listening to punk you know and um so that I don't know where I would be without punk and skateboarding so um that's how I got into it and it got me away from the bullying and then I moved to Derby and in Derby I guess I was seen as almost cool you know what I mean? It was like a complete revolution to me. It was like I was accepted in, in, in punk and I was meeting people. And you know what? Again, it's like you see someone with like a T-shirt on, like an Asian man T-shirt or something. And you're like, fucking hell. You know, back in the day, you're like, Asian yeah. man records. No way. And they're like, fucking hell. Or even fat records, you know, when like every fucker had a fat records T-shirt, you know, it was like the uniform at gigs. It was like everyone had that red fat records T-shirt. And but if you saw somebody with that, it was expected that you would say something to them. You know mm. what I mean? If you didn't, it would be strange. So that's what happened. I I just, it, it, it pulled me out of this fucking awful place in my life where I was like the dirt, you know, the scum and everything into being, you know, accepted and, and kind of pushing the scene, you know, with skating and, and, uh, and music. And then that's when I, you know, joined Lightyear or started Lightyear sort of thing and with the other guys and, then I had a platform to to get this angst out. You know, I was like, I can just fucking shout and I can sing and people will listen and they and they will agree with me, you know, like and they will sing it back. And it was, you know, the the best therapy anyone could have. So it was um, 
Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah. When you started, you started Night Lightyear in uh, 98, I think, right? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Yeah. You So obviously punk rock affected you. When did ska become uh, something important to you? And how did that become an, an element of the band? It's weird because like, I remember there was this band called Worm. Okay. And I thought the I had a tape, you know, and, and I thought, oh my God, this band must be like on Fat Records or they must be you know, on some label in the States and they're coming over. And um it was it was like pop punk, you know, like look out pop punk. Um and I just thought they were the biggest thing. And then and then I found out they were playing our local pub, not even the Vic, somewhere smaller. And um I went to see him, I had a broken leg uh from skating and and they were like, oh we're from Chesterfield, which is like twenty minutes away from Derby. <laughs> and um <laughs> and they and they played this song and then it was just punk you know like old pop punk and then it had a scar breakdown you know how loads of them used to have just a scar breakdown yeah that was it and i just heard that that scar and i didn't know what it was and i was like again it was like that sounds fucking awesome the way that that the way that that works with the distorted guitar straight into that is just sounds you know exactly how i feel and um and that was the first time I heard Scar and then and then, you know, it moved on would be But the strange thing is I never I never got into the old Scar like like um at that point, you know. So so anything like the specials or um, you know, any of the two tone stuff came much later for me. So so it was all the US Scar and Scar Punk that influenced me and Lightyear um early on, which is, you know, it's that whole cycle, US UK cycle that goes round, you know, it's that circle that keeps going. Were there any bands that uh, took Lightyear on tour that uh, couldn't hang with with the shenanigans? Does this band Link Eighty? You know, <laughs> 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 no, not no man, no. I think I think um, like we. This is the thing, and I think about this a lot because I'm older and more, you know, not mature, but I can I can put it into context and perspective and. And we, we was, so I got diagnosed with ADHD like two years ago. And, um, you know, so, so I obviously was super fucking hyperactive as well mm-hmm. and, um, and undiagnosed. And, and I remember like we muster plug, we were like, fucking hell, we're going on tour with muster plug. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God. And we had this meal at Exeter with them and we all sat down at the cavern and Exeter cavern are awesome. And they always give you a pizza and stuff. And, um, and I was just like, let's get fucking naked now. Let's just do it, you know, to show our appreciation. And um, <laughs> and they were just all sitting there. And we were naked at dinner and, um, you know, within an hour, just after soundcheck of meeting them. And, um, you know, and they were just like, cool. You know, that's that's totally cool. That's fair enough. And um, so, no, I don't think so. And I, th- I think that, like, uh, I, I think it's a very, I don't know from an American perspective what that's like, but... Um, I think when you're sort of friendly afterwards, I think that's okay. I know Slow Gherkin, so it was Slow Gherkin that we that we kind of I think we put our balls on their head or they're in a sleeping bag and, <laughs> and and this was the first night, so we were sharing somewhere we were crashing at someone's house and you know, again we were like, Oh, let's you know, let's I think we were pretty pissed as well. I think we we're pretty drunk. Not pissed, angry, but drunk. Right. And then so yeah i think i think we were like trying to you know put our balls you know somewhere we shouldn't which normally happens and and they were a bit like okay you know like it's a bit like happy gilmore you know where shooter mcgavin goes oh he's watching happy gilmore shaking the caddy and he's like you're on the tour great (laughs) um (laughs) it was i think it was a bit like that 
and then the next day we kind of woke. I think we ended up snorting like ant poison as well. And I think I think the idea was that <laughs> yeah, some guy was like, "We got some ant poison." It looked like whatever. So we we're like, "Let's snort that." As a, oh, like, oh, cool. Ant poison. Yeah, just whatever. Well, I think it was like because Ozzy Osbourne snorted ants. We thought yeah. it'd be funny to snort ant poison, you know. And um, anyway, um, uh, and then we went out for a run, and then I think Neil did a poo on a car. But, uh, but yeah. So wait, hold on a sec. What is what is uh, what does it feel like after you snort ant poison? I don't know. Didn't do anything really. Didn't do anything at all. But uh, I'm not an ant. So <laughs> <laughs> what is this poison for ants? <laughs> yeah, like if if I was a giant ant, it'd probably fuck me. But but it it, it didn't it didn't do anything really, which was lucky. Um, and then um, but then the next day. Uh, Slow Gherkin were, were like they bought us a a, a nudist magazine <laughs> from the from the petrol station. They just kind of put it down on in our dressing room and went, "Oh, we picked this up for you," and um and they were super mellow and and also man, it's fucking Slow Gherkin, you know, like like we didn't we didn't actually know too much about Slow Gherkin before we went on tour with them, and then you know we'd heard a few songs and we were like, man, their breast sec- their breast section kills it, and you know. You know, they they mix all that scar and that almost like soul kind of thing going on as well, and and um yeah, and then we watched them, and and each night we were like, holy shit, these guys are like so good, and I think that's the thing that we never, as as like you know, we never kind of got across truly. It was like we were so excited to be touring with all you guys coming over. You know, it mm-hmm. was like, it, I, and I think that's what it was. It was just like, oh my god, you know, we and we fed off each show, you know, and we took a little piece of everyone's show and, and put that into our music and, and our live thing and, and our drive. And, and again, it was like skating. It was like, you know, if we played with somebody and, and, um, you know, we knew the night before they was, they killed it, then we had to be as good, you know, right. um, out of respect sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just, it, it was great, but yeah, slow gherkin were just, you know, we, every, you know, like when you're on tour with someone, you're like, I'm, I'm going to watch these every night you know yeah and that doesn't happen that much but we were like we're gonna watch them every single night and they killed it yeah can you remember the first time nudity played a role in a light light year show um not really no um was it right away yeah it was pretty early on and i i think it was kind of mixed it might not have even been one of light year you know it could have been like one of someone like one of our mates at the gigs and stuff like derby was pretty loose you know so it's almost like that probably wasn't noted because <laughs> it probably would was happening at a party anyway. Um, but yeah, just shit went down all the time, you know, like, like, yeah, I remember, I remember um, that other show. What was it? Um, it was like a venue we never used to go to. And um, it was, I think it was pot shot, the chinkies and cap down. And um, yeah, that just, that went off and there was just naked bodies everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but that was an awesome show, man. That was, you know, yeah, unbelievable. And when you started the band, were there other ska punk bands in Derby? No, man. Like, when we started, I would go as far as to say there was probably like three ska punk bands in the UK. So this is the timeline, you know, like you guys are coming over and historically, I guess that you guys, this is what we always used to think. Like you guys learnt brass in marching bands at school. Is that right? In America? I, I think so, yeah. I think a f- yeah. fair amount, yeah. Okay, so in the UK, nobody played brass, okay? So it was like, if you knew a brass player, it would they would not be into punk, you know? So it just it just wasn't a thing. And, you know, all you guys were just, just 
you know coming over and just killing it on horns and just being amazing and um we we didn't know anyone so so everybody i mean i don't really know anyone in a punk band from then that that didn't learn it to be in to play scar punk you know what i mean like everybody just picked up the horn to to go and go and play it and learn to just be in a, in a, in a scar punk band saying that that's bullshit because our, our sax player actually played before. So, because his parents are music teachers, but um, pretty much everyone else. And, and I think there was like Lubby Nugget. Um, there was, who else was there? That was a kind of a ska reggae band, kind of sublime ish. They were really good. Um, and then, oh my God, my memory. There was a band from Leeds, really good, like ska core, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like. Um, Fuck, I can't remember them, but they were they were really good. But there was there was a handful of bands in the UK and and doing ska punk and and uh, and ska really in general. Um, so yeah, we all had to just pick that up, and it was it was like you know the new CD would come out, and we'd all sit around and listen to it, and and like I guess like when we heard "Turn the Radio Off," you know, "Real Big Fish," like that was. I know they're like poppy and they're huge and stuff, but when we heard that and that production and, and all that, that blew us away. We were like, holy shit, like, you know, this is like fully produced ska punk and, and uh, that was a big change for everyone. But yeah. Do you recall when you started to connect with or even learn about ska, ba- ska punk bands in other cities, like Cap Down and I don't, I'm not sure the order of things, but when you started to become aware of this larger scene? Yeah, so... We we had a show. I always remember there was like two shows that like changed everything. Okay, let's hear them. Well, we went to Peterborough, and um, they there may be three actually, but there was there, we went to Peterborough, which was a town very similar to Derby. It was it was you know middle the shops in the middle of the city, um, one venue, not a lot going on. So the kids were bored; they wanted to do something. And Peterborough had had been developing this scene where anything would go, you know, like you could be in a metal band or you could be in a hardcore band or you could be in a ska band and you would get all dayers where everybody would just be watching each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There wasn't any, any snobbery at all. And then we played there and, and I just expected not it not to kick off and not go crazy. And straight away, everybody was just going insane and like, picking us up and po- you know passing us around the room and and um just going diving off shit i guess like derby you know it was it was like a sister town to derby and um i remember thinking like when i was being passed around the room like i could do this for the rest of my life you know what i mean it was like this is this is the ultimate this this is the best feeling i've ever had in my life like you know t- to hold that moment in in my brain forever and um and then we turned out, we did a split CD with a band called uh, Eva Macaroni in Peterborough. And, and um, they were like our bros, you know, forever. And, and um, yeah, um, Positive Outlook Records, um, a record label that was just run by the kids. You know, it had a distro on the local market. Um, a guy called Gav spent his inheritance from his grandmother on the whole label and just set it all up. Proper hardcore DIY sort of mix with everything and then the other one was um i think it was bridge end in wales and it was in a rugby club um and again it just kicked off and it was like oh my god like you know and then we started to see a few of those but just those two shows and maybe thirsk as well from a a band called the write-offs um they they put us on and and it was just that you know kids putting it on for kids and uh it it was it just yeah it just 
I was like, oh my God, I'm smitten. You know, this is it. This is it for me. And this is what I want to do. And um, yeah, they, they were the main shows, but, but um, again, that, that they, they changed my life really. I was just like, right forwards, onwards, let's go, you know? Yeah. So when we had uh, Sonic Boom 6 on the show, we asked him for a light year story. And uh, do you know the one that uh, Layla gave us? <laughs> do you know what, man? Like, <laughs> I've got two kids, right? And I'm just thinking, God, they're just going to listen to this one day and just think all daddy used to do was like put stuff <laughs> up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing it's it's that one, the melodica. Yeah, you, you, that's it. And it took her like one second. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love those guys, you know, like they're, they're, they're awesome and lovely, lovely people. And, um, but yeah, this is the weird thing. So like it was kind of, they played the underworld a long time ago and I think it was sold out. And in my head, it was perfectly okay to go on stage naked. I think I had a plastic crow like taped to my head, you know, like one of those things that you use in shooting where they have to have like a blade. Mm -hmm. So I had a plastic crow taped to my head, I think. And then put Layla's melodica up my ass and and pretend to play it. Um, and I think in my head, I thought I might actually be able to get a note or two out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and and now, you know, like I would never dream of doing that to somebody's gig. You know what I mean? It's like I would never, I would never do that. Well, I might do it to Sonic Boom Six just for all time's sake. But. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, it's funny because I can actually remember, yeah, like like Layla's face looking at me, just like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" And um, uh, but yeah, 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 it was the melodica, I imagine, and I think I think she uh, um, she got rid of it, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, the thing that she seemed more upset about though was that you stretched out her favorite shirt. Oh, I don't, I can't remember that. I, yeah, I think you'd you'd taken <laughs> like she had some shirt that she really liked, oh, and you okay. you you squeezed your way into that. Oh, okay. Well, right. <laughs> Went on stage in that and no pants with the melodica up your ass. Oh, great. Well, I'll buy it, that T-shirt back and then do the melodica at their next gig, yeah? Okay, sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, we have not... So there's uh, a lot of other bands in the UK that we have not had on the show. Yeah. So if, let's say, we had Capdown on the show, what would be their Lightyear story? I think, like, I think us and Capdown were very different um i think we were different people as well so i i i think like if there was like you say about a band that maybe you know didn't quite gel with what we were doing like that i think probably cap down just being totally honest um and rightly okay. so i understand why um you know they <laughs> we would be like running around you know yeah burning you know our, our ass hair off or whatever because we were bored you know what i mean and we've probably all got adhd in that band and um, they would be reading books, you know what I mean? Actually, we weren't like this all the time. We did loads of reading and stuff. But when we were really bored, we would we would do things like that. And, I, 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 you know, they were pretty chill guys, you know, and lovely guys like to smoke weed. Oh, I shouldn't. I don't know if I should say that. But <clears throat> anyway, I think that's apparent, isn't it? Because the songs say it. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, but also like. Like again, we had huge respect for them. Like, I mean, come on, it's Cap Down, and 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 that well, the first time we saw Cap Down was in Peterborough, and and someone was like, "You've got to, you know, you've got to check this band out." And fucking hell, man! I mean, everybody knows they were next level, and and they still are. Like when you see them, you like these guys kill it because like musically and everything, you know, like just just the whole performance is just so 
on point and the the kind of dancehall sort of influence and and everything i think they were they were sort of um you know one of the best live bands but also on record they were awesome and i think they were kind of the peripheral of the scene at the end you know they were trying to break out of that and, and rightly so they they should they should have done and um but yeah like i i think that um um they probably um didn't really um gel with that i think i think they thought we were being kind of laddish but but we weren't but yeah um but yeah like i i think um they if they came on i i don't know i i think they they're quite sensible and uh, you know they they would <laughs> they will probably talk about sensible stuff which is which is good um but you know all those bands like adequate 7 and five knuckle there was that whole scene going on in the uk and then i always wanted to that to gel with the us us scene as, as well and get that you know if if all the household name bands could go over to the states and do a tour around that time it would have been it would have been awesome i think um but we all burnt out you know we all fought for 300 shows a year like we there was no there was a glass ceiling you know there was that punk rock glass ceiling where you, you couldn't break out it, it's very difficult like in, in the states you can make a living in a in a punk or a ska band you know what i mean it is possible to do that like um there are bands that do that whereas in the uk and europe it's it's much harder was there a certain amount of competition between uh all the bands to get on tours or did you really feel that no no <clears throat> i would say that like the bands that all on household name records and the bands we toured with that was the coolest thing man it was like there was no competition it was just everybody was the loveliest person like i i don't think i went on a on a tour where i didn't like anyone mm-hmm. you know and and also you know we all stood for like we get on stage every night and be like right you know this is this is about anti-racism this is about anti-sexism anti-homophobia you know we were all on the same page and if there was a band that had a member that wasn't they would soon kind of be identified and shunned away Mm. you know what i mean so there was a few but they they weren't in the in the sort of and they weren't very good coincidentally i mean what's that quote like if you heard that quote i can't remember who said it's like okay great if you like you know if you're right wing go and listen to all that really good right wing music because they're fucking isn't it (laughs) (laughs) you know you tell me a good right wing band there isn't any at all so it was a bit like that yeah i think like the best case of how bad right wing music is if you go listen to right wing rappers like trump rappers that is uh, that is some horrible music. I'm totally going to do that. I mean, I, I hate to give them the, the royalties. It is. It's definitely good for a laugh, but it is horrible. Yeah, I mean, I. That's it, isn't it? It's just, um, I, you know, does it match intelligence? You know what I mean. You got to be kind of, you got to be intelligent <laughs> to to write good music. I think so. There you go. I rest my case. <laughs> Here's a few notes I took about uh, things. Okay, so we talked about nudity a bit. So let's talk about some of the other uh, uh, antics you guys were known for um pirate ship prop morris dancing um stupid tattoos i'm not even sure why i wrote that yeah but uh give me some uh paint a picture for me well i think i think when we were when we started off we were terrible you know like we were fucking awful and we had to play the same song twice and all sorts of stuff so we started off like our first gig i stole some shoes from the skate shop i worked at from like the big evil skate company you know not like the little the little shop and um i gave them away on stage uh and, and it was a bit oh th- you know this is a bit of fun and then we started to fill things out by just i guess um 
doing little things like that. So at one point we had dance moves and they were terrible as well and really cheesy and we kind of stopped doing them after a while. But but then we started doing Morris dancing, which was with the sticks and stuff. Yeah, what is Morris dancing? I, I, I can't remember. So Morris, it's a really weird English tradition where grown men dress up in an outfit that looks like it's made of like handkerchiefs um, and tie bells to themselves and hold flags and sticks and then like jump around um, beating like a pole or something. And it's it's a really weird sort of almost, I think it dates back to sort of pagan religion. And um mm-hmm. Yeah, and and um, that's kind of we just used to laugh at it, you know. We were like, "What the fuck is Morris dancing?" And, and um, then we were like, "Oh, let's let's get some Morris dancing in the set." Um, you know, imagine watching a band and they stop a song and start to Morris dance. And um, <laughs> I, I get, I guess with Lightyear, it was always like, you know, that would be funny. Talk, you know, conversation that'd be a funny thing to do. And then we actually did it, you know. So um, that that's how the Morris dancing started. And then the rocket was like. We were like, it'd be funny to go across the stage in a in a rocket and pretend, you know, we were like that bit in that song sounds like it's a, a rocket or a canoe. And um it would be cool to cut out a wooden canoe and um and sail across the stage and then but at one point we were we were lighting um the Morris dancing sticks on fire and then fire breathing um um across the stage like two directions and stuff. And that, that got a bit dodgy because there was like gasoline, you know, at the side of the stage and <laughs> none of it was risk assessed. And, <laughs> and um, you know, but I mean, recently we, we, I kind of, I gave all our merch away on stage. I was like, fucking, I hate merch. And I was like, oh, I can't, I can't hate, I hate having loads of boxes. So we, we dressed our guitar tech up in all of our merch and then we threw them into the audience and everybody had to strip him <clears throat> uh, to get free t-shirts and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then we didn't have any merch for the rest of the tour, but it was worth it. So, you know, I guess, I guess just stuff like that. It was, it was, it was just, uh, I think, I think the thing is like, the thing is with Lightyear is that like these songs were coming, they were really poignant to us, you know, like it, like they weren't comedy songs. Mm-hmm. Like these were songs about like drug addiction and, and, you know, like, <clears throat> like domestic abuse and things like that. And then, and definitely the second album was, I, I probably depression, you know, there's a lot of depression in there and, and trying to being depressed on tour and, and trying to figure your life out and stuff. And, and then, but then it was also like, well, we can actually dick around live. We can, you know, be completely stupid and enjoy this, but then we can also be singing about things that really mean something to us. You know, it doesn't have to be, it's okay to sort of laugh and have a good time, but also shout about the same way you feel, you know, if you're lost and you're, you know, it was that was the hardcore yeah. element for me. It was it was like because hardcore had a big influence on us, and 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 you know that shouting it back, pointing your finger in the air, you know that that whole um, thing being at a hardcore gig, that was a huge influence, and and it was that part was super important. But also, you know, it's scar. Let's dick around. It doesn't have to be cool. You know what I mean? Like that's the beauty of scar. It, it never was cool. And it never will be. So then you don't have to sweat it. You know, you don't have to worry because you're never going to be cool because you're in a fucking scar band and we don't give a shit, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, there's two types of bands that lean into heavy performance elements. There's bands that are, um, have very unusual music and putting on a performance of sort like matches the, the strangeness of their music. Mm. 
But then there's bands like you guys where it's like, this is pretty, like pretty straightforward music, but the live show is crazy. Yeah. And uh, I I always find that to be particularly interesting because it's like, if you, if you're just a kid and you just listen to some light year. Yeah. And you don't know anything about you guys. I don't think you would go expecting to see the show that you guys put on. Yeah. It doesn't sound wacky. No, no. And I, I think, and that's exactly it. Yeah. It was like, and also it was a release, you know, like I, th- I think we all had, we, you know, we grew up together, man. Like we, we grew up in a garage, you know, like together, writing together and lost girlfriends together. And, you know, those first loves and went through all those difficult times. Um, and we're still best mates, you know, we're still really good mates and we, you know, we're trying to get through these past difficult years and we're help, trying to help each other as much as we can. And, so it it it's like there's that and there's all little private jokes in the songs as well and you know like Neil you know is up there going crazy and then Nelbs like the backbone and but you know it, it's like those little looks you give each other on stage where you kind of like you know you know when something's happening and that's the camaraderie we have and and um, I think that that just comes out live like any any band I guess but but again it's a release you yeah. know it's releasing that anger and and that frustration that that you're allowed to do like a hardcore show again the hardcore element is like you know people see a hardcore show and they're like why are those dudes fighting you know and it's like they're not fighting they're they're releasing you know that this pent-up um frustration uh and i don't mean like full-on beatdown, but you know like good clean fun sort of hardcore um that sort of thing that's like posy and and stuff is is played a, a big influence on us our live show because it was like come to this show laugh you know cry release it out have have the best time in life get naked <laughs> you know it's, it's all cool <laughs> so um a few a uh, few years ago i think i was reading several articles where there was a documentary that was in the works called this music doesn't belong to you i'm curious about what that is and and what's what's the status of that so that was um, a documentary about the UK scene um, around those years and, and, and how strong it was and um, everything we've just talked about, really, and, and about all the like little venues, independent venues around the UK. Um, and the, these, these different bands that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. And also like, you know, all the US bands coming over and but really focusing on the UK bands there because no one really sounded the same, you know, like Five Knuckle sounded nothing like us and Adequate Seven sounded nothing like Five Knuckle. Um but they were all awesome bands and awesome live. And the, yeah, again, the camaraderie there and, and everything was, was, was amazing. And um, so we started shooting that film and we crowd funded it with a, a company called pledge music. And I was directing and producing or whatever. And, and, you know, standard punk thing, never done it in my life, but I was like, this story needs to be told, you know, like, like this is a huge part of my life. And um, I want to tell people about it. And, and we had this really good documentary like set up and, and um, we um, had meetings. We all put a lot of time into it, started shooting it, started doing interviews. And then um, when the funding was coming through from Pledge Music, um, the date came and went. And um, so loads of people had pledged money for this. And um, I, I got no email from the company and I was like... Um, you know, okay, well, that's cool. Maybe it'll turn up tomorrow. And then it didn't. And then like the next week. And then about a month later, I got an email from like the the CEO going, sorry, like we're trying to sort this out, but it's all fine, you know? 
And I was like, okay, cool. And we'd spent so much time doing this because it was, you know, our heart and soul into it really. And, um, and, uh, and then eventually what happened was uh, Pledge Music went out of business and, oh. um, it, and they took all the money and, um, but not, not just us, they took like millions of, of pounds worth from all global artists and films and albums and stuff. And if you Google it, you can, it, it comes up with a load of stuff. And, um, and I was just devastated, man, you know, like, like I was like, oh my God, like what the fuck, you know, like this, this can't happen. And then I just got an email from a lawyer saying, they went, they um, liquidated the company or whatever, and you you are not going to get any uh, any compensation towards your project um, because they they did something and basically just took the money from a lot of people. So, um, so at that point, I kind of sent an email out to everyone that had supported it, and uh, people were like, "We'll pledge again, we'll do it again." But you know, when something happens and you're kind of like you've tried to do it so much you lose the kind of drive and then we started going into covid you know we were just kind of building up again and we went into covid and i was like well i can't i'm not going to do a film over covid and have all sky fucking zoom calls you know on on a on a documentary because that's just weak like the whole point of it was like this is going to be an inspiring documentary for anyone you know you didn't have to just be there and be interested in the scene this one you know i wanted it to be someone who had no idea what the scene was and go shit we could we could do a gig in an old abattoir or we could set up you know there's an old office down the road we could set that you know a gig up there we just need a pa you know like we don't need much we don't need much at all and we can start working with these agents and stuff and um that's what i wanted to do but it's on the back burner it's on the back burner. So, um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a startup company during uh, lockdown called Hawker and it's, it's basically, um, digital. <clears throat> it, it's like a digital merch stand. So you go to a gig and you can like scan the bar, the QR code and the merch turns up at your house. So bands don't have to, um, take the merchandise on tour. And, um, it's like 90% less energy and or less water and 65% less energy is way better for the environment and cuts down on carbon footprints and stuff. So that's what I did during lockdown and um, that's going now. So that's working really well, but um, the film is something. And it's a, it's spelled, if anyone's interested, it's spelled H A W K R. That's right. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I've been doing during lockdown and uh, partnered with two guys. And um, so yeah, that's out and about and that's, but the film is on the back burner and it's almost, I've got to get that motivation to, to, to do it again and try and look into some grants or something, some art grants, but you know, yeah. I'll get, I'll get it done because things drive me nuts, you know, like it's in the back of my mm-hmm. head. I'm like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And that won't go away until I've done it. <laughs> um, so, uh, but having, you know, a family as well, it's difficult. Yeah. So. I want to ask about household name records. So somebody who's unfamiliar with this whole scene, can you explain who they are and the role they had in the scene? Yeah. So they were, they were like, I guess, I guess again, like a, you know, a small label, like like Asian man, Mm -hmm. pretty much like in the UK, they started as like a full on hardcore and, and really heavy, you know, some dark kind of bands on there. And, and, um, then started to move out into just punk and then started doing scar as well and, and and everything. But around that time when they, they moved away from the more hardcore stuff, they started putting out a lot of um, bands around the UK who would tour and um, bands who are a bit different. 
and they started to pick up, I guess, the talent around the UK. And then again, it was like they had House on In Records on the back of their T-shirts and every gig had people wearing these T-shirts all around the UK, House on In Records, House on In Records. And it was really exciting. <clears throat> it was a really, really cool time. And um, it was just like all the bands on, on, on the labels were like family and we all toured together and saw each other hundreds of times. And, and um, it was a great community. And a lot of it was DIY, like most of it was DIY. And then we started like selling out small venues and then we would sell out bigger venues and then it'd be like the O2 venues. And then, and then we started playing Reading and Leeds festival, you know, and, 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 it, and this was all DIY pretty much, you know? And um, I mean, I remember when we played Reading and Leeds festival and, and we didn't think anyone was going to turn up, you know, cause we didn't, there was no Instagram followers, you know, we didn't know, Oh, we got 10 million, you know, Instagram followers. We, we didn't know anybody would really turn up and, and the tent was like over capacity and, and we were like, holy shit, this is amazing. And, and and that was because everybody who went to those gigs, you know, would come and support those bands. So it was just a really, really great scene to be involved with and, and um, uh, at the time. So so that's what it was really. But it was full on DIY and um, bordering, bordering into, you know, the corporate music industry. And I think it dabbled in, you know, a little bit with that. But that's when things get strange, mm-hmm. you know, uh, when DIY and, and, and uh, the music industry clash i think so when when people talk about you know specials and and madness and and all these bands it's the shorthand is two-tone ska even though a lot of these releases were not technically on two-tone but it sort of becomes a a way to identify this time and era and the sound even though this and the sound is diverse obviously um would you say household name records is similar for that time and era for those bands? Like you could just call it the household name records ska or era? Kind of, but but I don't know. Cause like like Adequate Seven, yeah, like they were like hardcore and funk, mm. um, which you know should never be spoken in the same <laughs> sentence, really, because it sounds <laughs> awful. But they were incredible, you know, like like they were awesome, they were so original. And then, you know, yeah, Five Knuckle, they were like hardcore, you know, dark scar. And then, so I guess it was a sound in a way, I think like a lot of the same producers might have been used, but less so than than Two-Tone, I think. Um, I think, and and this is the thing as well, It, it and I, I, I say this before, but I, I feel like we're, we're losing those. One of the exports of the UK is, 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 um, you know musical tribalism right so you know skinheads uh mods uh indie kids or you know like um <clears throat> Britpop sort of thing so all these things had a fashion they had they went hand in hand you could you could see somebody and they would look like that right so i i think we're losing that as a as a as a, as a country and, a, and a, almost like as a planet you know you don't get that anymore you don't get these tribes it's just sort of multi-genre listening which is great in a way but I, I do feel like that was a bit tribal, you know, and you would have your baggy jeans and you would have all that. And, and, uh, it might've been the same in the States probably was, you know, and, um, but it, it was belonging to something. And so I, th- I think, and that's the same with two-tone, you know, it was like, it, it was that tribe. You were part of something, you part of that tribe. And it sounds really cheesy, but it was true. You know, that, that's, that's what it was like. And, and, um, I feel like we don't have that as much now. Um, I think, you know, probably rave culture. There's probably something going on there. Or there might be something I don't know about, but 
Um, you know, I, I, I say that quite a lot and it's a shame, I think. I mean, I think the hard thing is that you've always got a youth culture that's evolving. And once we're out of that age bracket, it's it's hard to see into it and see what what kids are getting excited about and what their new sort of tribalism is. And for us to expect them to do it the same way we did is like a lost cause. I mean, you know, I just picture myself like 44 standing in the middle of a rave, you know, going, oh, wow, there is something happening. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the old dude doing there? Yeah. So, so it's probably happening. And, um, but I, I'm not sure it's happening in a, in a way that, you know, like almost has a uniform, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's generally yeah great, but you know, like a skinhead, you know, like a, would be a skinhead, you know what I mean? And, and a punk would be a punk and, and you know i mean but but the, i'm talking pop culture you know so and like we would we would know about it because in back in those days uh, i'm just i'm just playing devil's advocate sure. slightly but you know like it like if if back in those days the grandmas would see a mohican and they would be like oh bloody hell look at that look at that one with his mohican <laughs> bloody hell you know like is it a boy is it a girl we don't know you know like that's what they would say shit like that and and um so I guess we would, you know, it's that that pop culture and that fashion thing. Yeah. If it is, I've not noticed it. You know what I mean? In the UK, it was it was like that rebellion um, tied in with music and fashion, I suppose, um, and iconography and and stuff. As far as I know, isn't there? I mean, you know, you get like UK garage and going on from garage into like grime and stuff like that. And and I'm you know I'm not going to pretend I know anything about that, but I'm sure there's there's scenes like that but in general you know going into popular culture i think it's not there so i i don't know but yeah maybe i'm just old and bitter <laughs> well but, and then also you know now we're the parents we're and or the you know grandparents in some cases and we we're more much more accepting of you know seeing somebody coming down the street with a mohawk you know we'll we'll see that and be like oh i love that like and and so it's not it's no longer like a an obvious symbol of like rebellion. It's just like, oh, you know that that kid's mom probably helped him helped him put up his mohawk because she might have had a mohawk. <laughs> yeah, the, and there's probably not a lot left to do. You know what I mean? Like if if you're trying to shock people, like you know, and also like yeah, the internet's like you can go and see anything insanely shocking. You know, from any time in period history of the world and to now, like uh, you, you know what like shocking images are and and what shocking fashion and culture is so so it all becomes like you know um online doesn't it really so yeah yeah and and yeah we're more accepting i think um yeah because like the you know the 40s i mean and that's how punk happened yeah. isn't it because it was it was a reaction to to um that like conservatism it was it was a, like you know literally two fingers up fuck you i'm gonna do this the complete opposite of you know like um conservatism in in the uk and stuff so yeah yeah you've got to have something to backlash against i suppose yeah i want to ask about the infamous iced tea story pook told us the story okay but we gotta we gotta hear it from the horse's mouth yes <laughs> great great work i love your work yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um again like the first tape, one of the first tapes I got was was Ice T. Yeah, it was like I, 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 it was it was it was one of my first things. So we were like, oh my god, we're playing on the same stage as Ice T, 
like we're allowed to play on the same stage as Ice T. And um, and and we again, I've, I've, apologies, if everyone's listening; they've, they've heard this before. But like we we never um we never saw like you as a career, you know. So it was like I know certain bands definitely were like, this is our career. This is, you know, we, we're going to make this move and, and this might get us on this label. And then, you know, we had zero um, interest or zero sort of like guide like that. You know, we were just like, let's just fucking get on stage each night and play as much as we can. Just to, just for clarity, right? It's body count the, at this show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Slightly more scary than just Ice <laughs> Day. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, so yeah, we, 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 you know, we get these ideas and, I get, I, you know, I, I have low spontaneity control. Um, so, so I, <clears throat> it was like, do you want to get on stage, you know, dressed as the pantomime horse? Actually, that isn't what happened. That's not true. We, we were like, it was at Reading and we were like, let's go into Ice T's dressing room. Cause we were like, holy shit, Ice T is in that dressing room next door. <laughs> he's, he's fucking next door. And we're like, no way. So we sent someone to walk past, you know, to pretend to get some water. And they came back like, yep. Ice is in the building like this. And um, so we're like, right, get the, get the horse costume, get the horse costume. So we put the horse costume on and then (laughs) then we like meandered into the dressing room dressed as the horse (laughs) and then just plodded around. Cause, cause yeah. So the rock, the, the rocket that used to go across the stage, we ended up getting a pantomime horse, which is a horse outfit instead of a rocket. It evolved. And um, so we, we, we went into IST's dressing room and, and, um, walking in like that and and um ice t was just like chilling on his couch and like the horse just stopped and no one really said anything <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like i suppose you wouldn't you know you would be like you know what's going on like I, it was it was this moment of you know one of those uh the, the, you know that the weaker thans you know they've got a lyric uh and the pause felt like an extra uh, uh the pause felt like an extra year at high school <laughs> i love that lyric and that's what it felt like. It was just this pause where like Ice T didn't do anything. None of the crew did anything. Cause I don't think that, you know, what's the protocol, you know, <laughs> the tour manager's <laughs> like, like looking at his little file of facts. What do I do? What do I do? Pants my horse. And, um, and then um, one of his bodyguards, we think he was a bodyguard just went in a really like deep voice. Ice T is not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> So at that point we thought, oh, we're gonna get like our heads kicked in. So so we just, you know, plodded out again. Um uh and, and then and then we we so Reading and Leeds are like, you know, uh the the sister festivals, one's played in the south of the UK, one's in the north. So we then we went to Leeds and we played the same the same stage, and then we were like, Do you know what would be an even better idea would be if we took the horse on stage with ice, you know? We were like, I bet he would love it. I bet he <laughs> really <laughs> quick chance. How so these these shows are two separate shows. How far apart are they? Probably like two hours dry. No. Mm, but like but like days like uh de- in the same the same time. So so you play one and it alternates and you travel okay. up to the the next one. So yeah, this this the lineup alternates. Gotcha. Um and um yeah so we so we went up and uh so this is the weird bit, okay? This is the weird bit. So we went up to his his tour manager um, and we went, is it okay if we go on stage with Ice T dressed as a horse? And and we obviously <laughs> thought he was going to go, you're having a laugh, like F off. He didn't. <laughs> he just went, he got on his radio, right? And he went, 
yeah, we've got uh, some guys here. They want to they want to go on stage with ice dressed <laughs> dressed as a horse. <laughs> and I remember like looking at Neil, and Neil always does this look when we're going to get in trouble, like where he bites his bottom <laughs> lip. You know, he's like, you know, like a school kid. And I'm like looking at him. He's looking at me, and I'm like, okay. And he went, yeah, that's fine, guys. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> And we were like, what? <laughs> like, like, I mean, afterwards I became a tour manager and, and like ended up touring, you know, like some big bands and stuff. And, and, and like, I always wonder who he radioed, you know what I mean? Cause like, <laughs> he didn't radio Ice-T. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the tour manager. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind of make those calls. Um, so I'm, I have no idea who he, who he radioed. Maybe, maybe the God of horses <laughs> and uh, he's bound to say yes, you know? And um so we we got in the horse outfit and and there was a kind of a breakdown, you know, middle eight in a song, and and we thought this is the ideal time to go go on because because pantomime horses in the UK, I don't know if you guys know, but a pantomime is where um, it's like a thing at Christmas, a play where everyone dresses up, all the men dress up as women, and um, like uh, they have like uh, weird outfits and there's like traditional stories and stuff, and th- there's always a horse on it, so that's where we we got the idea from. Yeah, and it's a, it's two people. It's it, right? two people. Yeah, it's really cheap. It looks bloody awful. And um, so so we went on, you know, in this breakdown. And um, and I remember like looking through this flap. Firstly, I remember thinking, "God, Neil's ass stinks," right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then secondly, I remember looking through like the peep flap, right? And um, and just seeing the bass player turn round. And and he looked scary. Do you know what I mean? He looked like it, he was in a gang. Uh, I mean, I'm not stereotyping, but he, he did. And he probably was at one point. <laughs> you know, like he, would, he was fucking scary. And he just like looked at the horse. <clears throat> and at that point, I thought, shit, like we're, we're on the middle of the stage now. And then Ice just turned around and he just looked at us. And he went, who are these jackasses? <laughs> They're going to go home in a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it all kicked off and it all it all went wrong from then on and and people were running on stage and like pulling us off and and I was like oh like like I thought they would have figured out that <laughs> you know this wasn't a good idea and 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 then the TM was like radioing like security and and um all the security guards were trying to pull the the horse outfit off us um all the other all the other bands on our label I think got their got their passes taken off them um there was like wow. radios to all the security so me and neil were like fucking let's leg it let's run you know like ice is gonna get us you know what i mean like um so we ran off stage and and as soon as we ran off stage well a, a bit down the field um this lexus pulls up and uh do you know dizzy rascal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so dizzy rascal pulls up in a lexus and neil's like dizzy ice tea's gonna kill us like can we can we hang out with <laughs> can we hang out with you and Dizzy Rascal was like, no, bruv. Like, you, no, you, I don't know who you are. Like, <laughs> there's no way you're going to hang out with me. So we kind of just like, okay, let's keep going. So we just kept running. <laughs> and then we, we got to Dizzy's stage because he was about to go on. And um, so we ran across his stage, past all the texts, like stage right, and hid behind a, an amp. And um, and he came on and then we couldn't, no one knew where we were and no one could see us. So we ended up just watching Dizzy Rascal um play on stage and then and then we uh evaporated into the night and we got away with it but um we didn't get asked back <laughs> so 
Have you ever spoken to Ice T or have know someone who's spoken to him about this incident? Um, no, but I sent him a message on Instagram and <laughs> he read it. Okay. And I like to think it was him and not part of his team. And uh, he didn't say anything. And then I, I, we posted something uh, from the Lightyear account and he liked it. And, and that was like a huge thing for me. <laughs> so what did you say at slash post? I think it was just like, oh, once we got on stage with Ice-T dressed as a horse or something like that and, and tagged him in it and he just liked it. So, <laughs> okay, you know, I like to think he's just sitting there with like, a couple of shotguns um, you know, yeah. in, in his mansion in LA and he's like, I remember those fuckers. Yeah, like, ting. So maybe he's amused now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think like... You know, when you've been in a film, when you when you come from where Ice T did and stuff, and the life he lived, when you when you star in a film called Leprechaun in the Hood, you kind of lose that edge. <laughs> you know, you kind of lose the edge, yeah. and, and it kind of like you, you know, he, he did become a slightly comical version of himself. You know, like he played a policeman yeah. in a few right. things, and like. And um, I think I think he knows that, and he think I think he's uh, you know not that I'm some sort of psychoanalyst, but uh, you know I, I think he is a little bit like that, and I, I think even what happened, he was kind of like yeah whatever, you know like shit like that. It's always people's crew, isn't it, that goes crazy because they're like my job's on the line, yeah, you know like fucking hell, we better do this, we better we better act really serious, and we better instead of just kind of going waiting for the horse to come off stage, which would have had far less impact. There was loads of security coming on. Do you know what I mean? So it just added to the the, the ridiculousness of the, the the scene. So yeah, I think I think I, I like to think he it was all tongue in cheek and um, yeah, mm-hmm. but, but it was fun, man. Do you know what I mean? Like it was it was a really good memory. <laughs> the body count era for Ice T was probably the most scrutiny he's ever gotten. Yeah, um, in his career, and that's you know including his early gangster rap stuff because of the song, the cop killer song. Yeah. So I wonder if I wonder what his state of mind was like at that point, and then to have sort of this absurdist fucking with him <laughs> moment in the middle of everyone, you know. Well, he probably thought, well, things could be worse. I could be in that band. <laughs> <you know? laughs> things could be a lot worse. I could, I could, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and we there was there was all sorts of shit we did like that, but it was all. You know, it was all fun. Like I, I heard stories of madness. They use, I think, they, I think madness once locked Elton John in a porter cabin in a porter loo before he got on stage. They used to do shit like that. So you, you're you're yeah. in the tradition of good ska bands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just having fun. You know, I I remember you guys getting banned from another venue. <sighs> yeah the the um, the cavern. Yeah, not the not the Exeter one, but the Liverpool one. Yeah, the the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, were you guys there? Uh, yeah, it was during our set. Oh fucking hell! Do you remember what happened? Sorry again. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, yeah, I do remember. The funny thing is, I, I was born in Liverpool, and and um, my mum was in the first hundred of the Beatles fans. In, wow! Uh, uh, and used to go to the cavern as a as a teenager and saw the Beatles. So 
again it was purely out of respect <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah i remember um i thought it was cap down but no it was us you and cap down wasn't it yeah I think, yeah, yeah okay um yeah there was there was a um a big cardboard sort of effigy of of um uh what's his name paul mccartney paul mccartney that's the one that you know that little known rock star paul mccartney <laughs> maybe uh, maybe you've heard of him yeah um and and he was in the in the in the dressing room and and I, to be honest i did find it a little bit cheesy i was a bit like you know all praise be to paul you know what i mean like right it was all i was a bit, oh, that's a bit annoying well and it was all tagged up too like because it had been put backstage and like yeah it, all the walls in a backstage dressing room get hit with like a ton of graffiti yeah yeah exactly so like his, it, te- his teeth had been like blacked out and i think he had like an eye patch yeah it was it was it was fair game you know like yeah and i could just tell he was dying to get on stage so like and it was a weird <laughs> gig though wasn't it because it was like it wasn't a normal gig what you would do is if i remember you would play and then tourists would come in and watch you play because it was the cavern and then i think it was two sets was that right do you remember that i think there yeah i think that sounds right and and it wasn't it wasn't on the actual stage either that the Beatles put no, on. No, it was around the corner, was like, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, they they built out the back of the venue, so there was now like a modern stage. Yeah, so basically, Paul was backstage, kind of going, "Hey, you're not on the right stage." You know what I mean? He was rubbing right. it in. He was he was he was <laughs> he was he made, he made me do it pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, and and I think I so you I I just remember like there was like tourists coming in and and um. But yeah, we 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 took Paul from the from the wall. We took Paul from the wall. Well, and and also it was it wasn't like a cardboard cutout. It was um, it was like a big poster that had been like adhered to a piece of like drywall, basically. Yeah, and it, it was, was big. It was like yeah, it was like it was six like, foot like, by four foot. Yeah, like, it was like life size kind of big, wasn't it? It was it was huge. Like, and it was permanently attached to the wall. Yeah, I mean, th- this is pissing me off even talking about it. <laughs> you know. This is yeah. giving me like PTSD. I'm like, <laughs> fuck that poor guy. Um, no, I like the Beatles really, but um, yeah, and 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 we 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 just decided to take that off the wall, and we we kind of took it off. I suppose we had to rip it off. I think, yeah, and we we ripped it off the wall, and then I seem to remember like um, taking it on stage when you were playing, and then did we like um, pretend to have sex with it? Probably. Yeah, I can't the, remember. The main, the main thing I remember is that we're playing like a breakdown at the end of our set. Okay. Like it's like a 30 second breakdown at the end of the set. Yeah. And so it's getting all heavy and you three of you come running out naked, yeah. except for maybe shoes, of course. Yeah. And then <laughs> Paul gets, uh, I think, you know, kind of there, you guys are like pretending to, you know, have sex with it. Mm. And then it gets leaned against the bass drum. Right. And you guys are jumping off of something and like body slamming. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I, that, onto this a, a blank there. And well, and, and it was, and I remember it was like drywall because there's bits of like plaster, and like the dust, yeah. like flying up. Yeah. It's really weird because I can't remember doing like the body slams, but I can remember what the, what it was made of when it cracked. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I can, yeah. I can actually see that in my head, but but can't remember doing the, the body slams, but um, I just, I just remember all your knees and, and elbows yeah. getting, and shins getting all cut up from this stuff. Yeah. And I can remember so like you guys are naked with like blood streaming. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, that like I I, th- I remember like the look on I think it was Boob from Cat Down's face when we went backstage afterwards, and he he was just staring at me like, "What the fuck are you doing?" You know, like <laughs> like what are you guys on? Like, um, yeah, yeah. It was almost like we we had no sort of conception of of um, sort of what what else was happening in the room. You know, like sure. like um, you know, like oh, it's fine to go on Link Katie's set and just fucking you know pretend to have sex with a British icon, you know, like yeah, in front of people. But um, but yeah, I mean, I mean the we, funny thing to me is that we didn't stop. No, no, no. Like, we I finished think, the song. <laughs> yeah, I think you were probably used to it by then. You were just like, yeah, oh, you know, that it's just like you just ignore them. They'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> just pretend it's not happening. But we we toured with Jackass and uh, the, 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 my mates have heard all these stories loads of times. But we toured with Jackass and and um um that got really gnarly like we were we were literally covered in blood every night and people were like throwing pound coins at us and and uh, all sorts of stuff like and every band like basically left after one gig and then mm-hmm. we got thrown off after three um <laughs> and and basically every night we were we were just it was like war you know yeah we were getting like piss thrown at us we were getting shit thrown at us we were getting um you know, like pound coins, like were cutting us and like, but the, the irony was we were so skint. We didn't have much money. We were picking up the money off the floor. Sure. <laughs> to go and spend the next day on some food, you know, like, um, but then the final one, we, we bought like super soakers, you know, like massive water pistols and, um, basically like pissed in them. And then we prepared, <laughs> we got eggs and we got flour and we got everything. And we, I came out on stage and I went, okay, I know what you're going to do. So just do it like that. And I, we just stood there and they just threw everything at us. And then I was like, okay, now it's our turn. And, and we just, <laughs> we just started playing and we just sprayed like everybody with piss and beer and eggs and flour. And like Ryan Dunn <laughs> was filming us and going like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. This is the band, you know, this is, this is who we want to be on tour with. And, um, and then we thought, you know, yeah, we still came off bleeding and stuff, but we thought, okay, you know, we've done, we've done good here. Like, and the tour manager came in and, and, and we thought he was going to be stoked. You know, we thought he's uh-huh. going to be like, Oh, you guys killed it. Well done. And he was like, get back on that stage and clean up your mess now, or you're off the fucking tour. And we were like, well, we're not going to do it. If you talk to us like that, why, what's the problem? He's like, all the all the flour and the eggs is congealing over the monitors with the beer <laughs> and it's making like a cake like a monitor yeah. cake you know and um and he's like you fucking you're off the tour you're gonna be off the tour and neil just went fucking kick us off then you know like like just don't call us a dick you know just be talk to us nicely and we'll go and do it and he just went you're off the tour like this and then <laughs> so we got we got kicked off the tour and we had to leave but and then no other band went on tour after that. They they didn't have any support. <laughs> but but you didn't you didn't have to go clean up the the monitor cakes. No, we weren't going to clean it up if someone talked to us like a prick. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we would have done if if the guy was just like polite. But the the guy was a dick. You know what I mean? And and you know you talk to people with respect, don't you? If you want them to to do something, mm-hmm. um, you don't. And and I saw him years later. I um, mean, he was TMing alkaline trio i think and i'd gone to see them and afterwards i was like hey man he was called dick as well i think and um i was like you're dick aren't you and he's like oh yeah yeah how's it going man yeah yeah didn't you leave the tour i was like you you kicked us off you know 
And he's like, oh, that's a shame, isn't it? And I was like, yeah. And then I was just like, actually, fuck it. I was like, you're a fucking penis. You know, I was like, I don't need to be nice to you anymore. Like, like, uh, and he was, you know, and, and, um, and then I just left. So I, I, I got my revenge in a way. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just one of those tour managers. Again, it's, it's, it's where the crew, you know, are assholes and the band aren't, you know? Sure. Not all crew, not all crew, but there are some, obviously loads of awesome crew and awesome tour managers, but there's also real cocks of tour managers out there. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you normally stream or download episodes. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. It's at In Defense of Ska. And please consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com backslash in defense of ska you will get monthly bonus episodes extended interviews and commentary per episode and access to the in defense of ska discord in defense of ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well co-host adam davis has an amazing band called omnigon give them a follow on instagram and twitter It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And if you've ever enjoyed one of the highly specific in-defensive ska memes floating around the interwebs, it was likely the work of the bands I like only charge $18. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.